0: Good morning, Hillcrest. Uh, my name is Chris Trinnan and I get to read the scripture reading for today. It's found in Hebrews eight, one to two, and then verses seven to 13. Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, He has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. God bless.
1: Amen. Well, my name is Kurt Buchanan. I'm on staff here at the church as one of the pastors. And I have the privilege of sharing uh, with you from the word this morning. Are you exhausted? Uh, A lot of people out there... Are. In fact, that's the topic of lots of the articles I've been reading lately, and uh, I think again coming through this year that we have, all over the world people have been working hard in all kinds of different ways, and are exhausted. But some people are more exhausted in specific ways, um, you might be exhausted of coming to church. Well, you aren't, because you're here, it's even the long weekend, everyone else who's not here, they must be tired of church. Um, or people are tired of, uh, I don't know, if you're around faith, or around the church, you might be tired of uh, Bible studies and you know, all the Christian education that you have to go through. You might be tired of being seen as weird, peculiar in the rest of society as a Christian. Uh, there's a spiritual struggle and that is tiring. You might be tired of trying to keep your prayer life going or your devotional life, reading the Bible. You might even be tired of Jesus are you feeling tired and weak in your faith? That's exactly how the congregation did, felt like, in, from that we have the book of Hebrews from, which is our series that we're going through. That's exactly how they felt. And we're in the middle of this series now. We're studying the book of Hebrews. And the response is this pastor, this person who knows this congregation well's, is somewhat surprising. He sees these spiritually exhausted people, and rather than trying to give them a break, instead he tries to pull them deeper into the Scriptures, make them do hard work of theology and that kind of thing. It's filled with these sweet and tender moments and also these harsh warnings about continuing on in their faith. It's like this loving parent who uh, is taking care of their child who is potentially in danger. We started this series by considering how Jesus viewed the scriptures, and we tried to make the point that Jesus and the scriptures are somewhat entwined. And that actually reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, doing the hard work of theology is actually how the author goes about trying to help people live a more abundant life. He doesn't try to give them a break from that kind of thing and just say, take it easy, don't worry about all this church stuff and all the prayer and all that kind of stuff, just relax. But instead, he goes to these tired people and he says, you need to work harder. And actually, that's generally what we need too. If you're feeling weak, typically you don't need more bed rest or more sitting on the couch. If you're feeling weak and like you're lacking energy, you need to get off of the couch. You need some resistance training and that kind of thing to become stronger. So that's the invitation um, in uh, Hebrews. Um, We need to build strength. Now, again, we've already kind of covered some of this. We're looking at chapter 8 today, but I want to kind of give you just a brief recap uh, so that you know where we are as we hop into today's topic. So this is kind of halfway through, so we want to make sure everyone's still feeling okay with the book of Hebrews. We've been inviting you to read along with us. But first, again, there's two main points. First, Jesus is superior, and he's superior in a few different ways. He's superior to the angels as God's final Word. Uh, he's superior to Moses as the greatest deliverer, you know, bringing us out of kind of our Egypt into the promised land, which is the kingdom of heaven. And he's superior to the high priests as the great high priest, again, serving even in a different priesthood from the order of Melchizedek. We've talked about that a little bit. And he's the one who closes the gap between us and God. He's our mediator, our advocate. And he's also, again, as we will see, He's superior as the once and for all sacrifice. Okay, so that's the first point. He's superior in these ways. And that the second point is, because of this, don't fall away or stop following Jesus. Just because you're facing difficult life life circumstances, because you're feeling spiritually exhausted. If you've been with us up until now uh, and haven't made the connection, the reason we shouldn't fall away is this. Because if Jesus is superior in all of these ways, it means that our lives will be superior if we continue to follow him. Not in relationship to other people that we get to be more superior than other people, but we are superior in a way to the lives that we would have had, our own lives, apart from Christ. We live a superior life when we continue to follow Jesus. Those are the two points in Hebrews. Now, if we abide with Jesus, we can Here's the benefits. Know the one true God in vivid, intimate detail. We can experience deliverance now from every idol that is trying to enslave us. And then we can have the assurance of the true promised land that is eternity with God. But it begins now. We can enter God's holy presence with confidence because Jesus is our everlasting great high priest, our advocate, who is the guarantor of, our, of the new covenant, we can set aside all of our human efforts to pay our way into a right relationship with God because he has paid the way once and for all. And we can live freely in his grace. But if we fall away from Jesus, we will fall into con- to confusion We won't see and recognize the truth. We won't know or experience God. We will continue to live in slavery to every kind of idol our heart can produce. Our love will be disordered and we will live without hope. We will live in condemnation. We will stand condemned by God because we would not embrace his salvation. We will live under the constant accusation of the devil ourselves and the world, that we are not good enough. We will live under the weight of our sin, and in the end, it will crush us. We will endlessly chase after things that will never satisfy us. So we have a choice. Are we going to abide with Jesus, follow him, continue to follow his path for our lives, or are we going to just give way to the weariness and drift? Okay, if you were getting lost on the journey so far through Hebrews, I know it's one of the more complex books to look at. Some of the ideas are a bit heady, and that kind of thing. And I understand that. I I know where you guys are at, uh, where some of you are at. So if you're getting lost, just remember that it's all about Jesus, that nothing else is worth your focus and attention and your worship. So here's a quick summation of why, all the wonderful things that Hebrews says about Jesus. He's not just the messenger, he is God. He's the exact representation of his being. He's God himself, but he comes to us like a brother, knowing exactly what it is like to be human. He's not just a priest, he's also the king, and he brings God's rule and reign, and he also represents us to God. He's not just a priest, he's the great high priest. He's also the king of kings and he serves in the eternal sanctuary and throne room of God and because of his work, we get to boldly go into his presence. He's not only our judge, he's also our advocate. He's the one who stands in our place in judgment. He's not just the one who pours out his righteous wrath He's also the one who bears it on our behalf so that instead we receive a crown of glory for his righteousness. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We can have confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And through faith, we can live a remarkable life. And we can also be encouraged by those who have gone before us. Because they put their faith into action. And we can too. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can throw off everything that hinders us. And run with perseverance. The race that is marked out for us. From weak and exhausted. To running the race. Because of Jesus. Now we've had a number of uh, speakers throughout this series. A number of them were kind of guests among us. And so... I thought this morning, and we will have a few other kind of guests coming in the next few weeks, and I thought I would take this moment because uh, I walk among you to approach one of the warning passages. And again, I th- perhaps that's the place of one of your pastors as opposed to one of our guest speakers. This is from Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. We have much to say about all of this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try. From evil. So Hebrews' warnings are about not falling away or drifting slowly off course. And do you see how easy it is to drift? The author actually has more that he wanted to say, but he can't actually get to his other points. And it's because his audience has fallen into a bad habit. They're no longer trying to understand. Do you just sit through a sermon? Or do try to understand it. There's a certain congregation that was highlighted in the book of Acts. In chapter 17 of Acts, in verse 11, it says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than of those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. How do you engage with Bible teaching? Are you receptive? Are you eager? Do you examine the scriptures for truth? Or are you passive, hoping, again, that the preacher will be uh, hilarious and dynamic and do all of the heavy lifting? See, if you're just exploring Christianity and you're new in your journey of faith, there's lots of stuff that you won't know or understand. And that's natural. That's fine. But there's some of you that should be teachers by now. But you're not. And you need to be told to grow up. Now, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that we would say to you, grow up. That's our mission statement. That's the whole reason this organization exists. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature. That means grow up in Christ. So, again, don't be offended that I would tell you to grow up. But, but grow up. Some of you need to hear that. It's a solid food is for the mature. We want you to grow in your discipleship. We want you to become teachers so that you can disciple other people. We want you to grow up. But as a church, we don't just say to you, grow up. That would be pretty rude. But instead, we do everything that we can to support your spiritual growth. That's discipleship. We want everyone to be able to take their next step of discipleship. To becoming more mature in Christ, that's why we invite you and encourage you come regularly to church, where we teach the Bible, where you have a chance to be with other believers, where there's an opportunity to worship and hear about other things that are happening in the kingdom of God. That's why we invite you to be a part of a life group, to join a ministry team, to become a part of the community of faith. That's why we invite you to set free and hearing God, and to our prayer summits. That's why we encourage you to try Alpha, maybe bring a friend to Alpha. To, in, uh, to join with us in our prayer evangelism movement. We invite you to share the work, to participate, to volunteer. And we invite you to engage in mission in our world so that we can multiply his kingdom. See, for years we've been inviting you to take your next step on the, our discipleship pathway, though we haven't always called it that. But some of you are milk-only Christians because you've never taken us up on the invitation. Now, I'm not here to scold you for it. None of these things are obligations. I know we're not trying to provide you with many religious motions to go through. That's not the point. Again, I just want to remind you they are invitations. Someone probably invited you to set free. Someone probably invited you to a prayer summit or to join their life group. Someone probably has been inviting you to participate with us, to get personally engaged and you just haven't taken them up on the invitation, I just want to remind you, the invitation is still open. We would love for you to take your next step of obedience, moving towards maturity in Christ. In fact, this fall, we're going to do our best to explain our approach to discipleship here at Hillcrest and to kind of sketch that over the next coming years. Let's hop into today's scripture. So a warning to a few of you. Grow up. Today, in Hebrews, we are going to see this, the end of religion through the new covenant that Jesus makes with us. So, kind of two main topics that we're going to kind of approach. First, what is religion and how it comes to an end through Jesus? And then we're going to talk about this idea of covenant, what a covenant kind of is in relationship to maybe what a contract is, and then the difference between what an old covenant is and the new covenant. So stick with me. Listen fast, and I will try to keep up. <laughs> Through this section, uh, or, or sorry, throughout the modern age, many people have actually tried to predict that uh, well, soon enough we'll be done with religion. We won't need that anymore. But in fact, we are not. Religion is actually globally on the rise. And religion and spirituality are even re-entering the academic world. Again, for a long time, it was pushed out, it was opposed to any kind of spirituality. But it's now that we're seeing more and more professors embracing different kinds of spirituality. Um, but people, again, have been opposed to or are anticipating the end of religion. And sometimes people who are trying to get rid of religion fall into two camps. I'm sure there's others, but here's two for you. First, kind of believe that belief is destructive. They believe that belief is the problem, They see religious wars, religious activism, religious hate, and believe that all belief must be wiped out. It's the problem. They believe that we'd all be better off if we didn't hold to these beliefs. But you can see how ridiculous those statements are. They are in themselves a belief, and it can't be empirically proven one way or the other. It's just another faith system that it's trying to convert you to. Uh, Maybe perhaps this, so that, again, some people are just trying to get rid of all the different beliefs and say, this is all bad for our world, we need to get rid of this, we need to move beyond this, we're modern people now. And then the other reason, often, is science and technology. Um, They believe that, well, of course, there's a natural explanation for everything, and in the past, people just didn't have these explanations that now we can have through the scientific method, you know, the scientific empirical explanation. So we don't need this idea of God anymore, or this sense of spirituality We're, you know, we're smarter than that now. But despite all of these advances in science and technology, there are still some things that are missing in terms of answers, real legitimate answers for the reality in which we live. One of them is we're still broken. Despite the advances in science and technology, we as a, you know, a, a people have not advanced. We're still broken. And there's not really an adequate answer for this, in the scientific and empirical sense. There's lots of ways to measure sin, but nothing really adequately speaks to the reality that we are enslaved to sin. And I believe the Bible provides an answer for this, and not just kind of a pat answer, but I believe it's actually an answer that surpasses all other attempts. Humanity is enslaved to sin because we rejected God and replaced him with idols. And again, we love and trust and obey in other things And it causes our downfall. We constantly have to serve and worship it. Laura mentioned earlier, achievement is a big one in our world today. And so there's, again, we're broken. And this is a part of our reality. And though you can measure it with science, really science doesn't give us all of the tools to measure our whole experience. And I think more and more people are realizing that the natural explanation for some things is that it's supernatural. So despite again, the prediction or the efforts of many people to kind of bring about the end of religion, it is not going away it's on the rise. Most human beings still believe in some ultimate reality, and they look at religion to explain the gap or to deal with the gap. Uh, in fact, last week, Josh Chalmers, as he was speaking, he talked about um, what is it the persistence of guilt that still people most people realize that we are fallen short of this ultimate reality in some way. So religion is humankind trying to make their way to God, or to whatever you might call God, on some kind of contractual basis, if I do something, I should be able to get in. Religion is the default setting of the human heart. See, and the author of Hebrews tries to draw our attention to Jesus the ultimate reality, who is a person that we can know. He describes the real throne, the real king, the real high priest serving in the real sanctuary. He contrasts that with every other priest, the earthly tabernacle, other sacrifices made here. And he says those things are just a copy and a shadow of the real thing. And they were all pointing to Jesus. So again, this is Christianity's version of what that ultimate reality is. And again, that we're separate from that somehow and trying to get to that ultimate reality, that ultimate place of of permanent existence, you know, abundance, that kind of thing. So in one sense, the only difference between, I won't go into all of the other religions and how exactly they would be similar to this, but again, the only difference perhaps that you would see in the religion of the Israelites than other religions is that it was pointing in the right direction, and that's why you see all throughout the scripture you see people who are doing and being busy with the religion suddenly becoming people of faith and that out of it it was pointing them in the right direction they became they got actually to the ultimate to the real. And actually all through the New Testament, the writers um, they tackle this subject in great detail. Many of the early Jewish Christians struggled to let go of their traditions and religion and the Jewish and Gentile believers often clashed over what they were supposed to continue or from, again, their traditions and religion. And so they would clash over this now that they were in Christ, what was still binding and what wasn't. For example, Paul, he, in the book of Romans, he tackles like what was the purpose of the law. And again, in Romans chapter 7, this is verses 7 and 8, he says, I would not have known what sin was it had not, if it had not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So again, he's explaining why they had the law and what purpose it was. If it's somehow set aside, you know, why was that? How did that work? What purpose, you know, was it all for Not, But the law, he's explaining, the law helps us to reveal our need for a savior because we're incapable of keeping that law on our own. There is purpose in the copy Purpose in the shadow, purpose in the echo, but it's not the real thing. And why Christianity is so different is that Christianity comes along to end religion, not simply be the most dominant of all of the other religions, but it comes along to end religion because Jesus is the ultimate reality coming to us, not, again, religion, all of our efforts to try to get to God See, all the, worlds are des- all the world's religions are desperately trying to find the ultimate reality. And Jesus comes and says, I am ultimate reality, and I've come to you. I'm the one who will bridge the gap between you and the ultimate. Religion tries to get to ultimate reality. Jesus brings ultimate reality to us. That's why in the scripture reading for today, we see that the great high priest is seated, as it's finished he has done it. All of the religious work is done. Religion is finished. He's the king to end all kings, the priest to end all priests. He's the final temple, the final king, and he's the final sacrifice. There is a word in the Bible that's uh, about religion, but it's never really applied to Christianity. And in fact, Paul says it's what he was before coming to Christ. Now, the Romans loved Religions. Um, you know, they just kind of would adopt whatever religions were there. They gave them different names sometimes, but they allowed any kind of people group to continue in their kind of spirituality, their religion. They let, uh, one person said, they let a thousand um, religions bloom, but they hated and persecuted Christians, and in fact thought that Christians were atheists. Uh, one uh, English preacher named Dick Lucas explained it this way you know, as if there was a conversation between a Christian and a Roman and how different, again, they are. You have a new religion. Tell me about it. Where's your temple? And the Christian would reply, well, we have no temple. Jesus is our temple. And they would say, okay, well, where do your priests operate then? Well, Jesus is our priest. Well, where do you make your sacrifices? Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is this, you know? It's not a religion. It's a person. But again, the default position of the human heart is religious. We like religion because it gives us trading power. If I do X, I deserve Y or T or S or whatever. If I go to church, if I pray, if I, you know, pay my tithe, then God must bless me. But that's a contract, not a covenant. See, and then the audience, again, this Hebrew audience was having trouble, again, understanding this. So that's why the author takes so much time going through all of this, trying to root out religion for them. Um, Again, because Jesus is the high priest. That's why he spends so much time on that. Um, Despite Christianity being about the end of religion, we fall so quickly back into those kinds of habits. I think that's still our tendency today today. I think some of you have been trying to close the gap between you and God, apart from the gospel. Some of you serve in the church to earn some kind of spiritual point so that you can trade when you need a spiritual blessing. Some of you worship um, to try to kind of cover over sin in your life. Trying that, you know, through worship, you're trying to take the highlight reel you know, that you're going to put on your, your public profile. And you're trying to say, look at these parts, but not so much these parts of my life. Uh, Some of you give money generously, but it's so that you can pay your way into the kingdom somehow, or to pay off your debt of sin because of your feelings of guilt. Some of you beat yourself up over sin. You try to pay penance, and you refuse God's free grace. You try to close the gap, some of you, by reaching some kind of spiritual high. Some of you still think that it's about balancing out the good and bad in your life, hoping that the good will outweigh the bad. But Paul summed up all of his personal efforts to close the gap between him and God as garbage. It's self-righteousness. And from here to the end of your life, your self-righteousness isn't worth a thing. We need to let go of our religious pattern jesus came to put an end to religion because his work is finished it is done he's the high priest who is seated not busy about you know the sanctuary doing many kinds of things and continuing to make sacrifices he's the once for all sacrifice it's done and i believe only when we realize that are we able to step into the abundant life and experience the fullness of a relationship with God, serve the church without joy, uh, in freedom, and to worship freely, to be generous, and to walk in grace and extend it to other people. So that's kind of the first idea, that there's all of these different paths that people are trying to choose towards God, but it's their path to God. Christianity is radically different, and it brings about the end of religion because Jesus comes to us, the ultimate reality shows up in a person that we can walk with, talk with, have a relationship with. Again, the gospel writers said, we've seen his glory. He was among us and we could see it. So Jesus puts an end to religion. Now let's talk about, again, we bumped into it just a little bit, the idea of contract. You know, It's kind of this religious way of like, I'll give you something, you have to give me something back. Now we're gonna move into the language of covenant, what that really is. So the author of Hebrews points out that Jesus made a new covenant. And later we're going to celebrate the new covenant in his blood when we celebrate communion together. So, And in, and in doing so, he also set aside the old covenant. So we have to talk about, like, covenant is a bizarre word, and most people kind of don't uh, know exactly what it means unless you've been around church for a really long time. So you have um, more familiar, familiarity with a contract. So this is what I believe a contract is. A contract is give and take. It's a legal agreement of exchange. I will do X if you will do Y. But if either party fails to kind of follow through on X or Y, then the other party is no longer obligated to follow through on their part. Again, it's give and take. For example, I will give you this dollar if I can take that Coke. And then the other person, again, is kind of making this deal. Where they're like, I will give you this Coke if I can take that dollar. Give and take But again, if either person is unwilling to give up either the dollar or the Coke, again, there's no deal. The contract is dissolved. And actually, most modern relationships function this way. Um, We are willing to give something to it if we get out of it what we want. Again, friendships, even romantic relationships, often fall into these categories. Give and take. You've probably heard about give and take relationships, And I think we often see this in celebrity couples. They talk about why they don't need, you know, classic, traditional kind of labels and that kind of thing. They don't need marriage. And they say they are devoted to one another because they have feelings of love for one another. And they put great confidence in their ability to have those feelings. But again, as we've all seen, in time, those relationships fall apart. Now, for entertainment, that's kind of fun. It's great to kind of watch. I mean, who doesn't want to see if, you know, Captain America, Chris Evans, ever finds lifelong love? I mean, are you not interested in that stuff? Maybe not Captain America. It's somebody else. I don't know. But feelings don't thrive when there's no real commitment. Feelings are like sails on a boat with no rudder. They rush this way and that. Sometimes it just kind of fizzles out. But there's no journey, no destination, and eventually... People abandon that ship. So again, a contract—I think we can all, you know, understand what that is. There's give and take, but a covenant is different. And if a contract is give and take, then a covenant is give and give. Uh, in the Bible, the idea of friendship is not like a contract where, you know, I will. Put something in. I'll hang around with you. We'll be friends. I'll help you move your couch. So long as I'm getting out of it, you know, weekend boat rides and other things, then we'll have this friendship. We'll trade things back and forth. But that's not what biblical friendship is at all. Um, Again, a friendship wasn't a legally binding thing, but it's much more like a covenant. The description in a Bible of friendship is that you are a friend to someone or they are a friend to you. You pursue their well-being Or they pursue your well-being at any cost. Even if at times that person is not particularly friendly to you. That's what a friend is. So in fact, you might be a great friend but have no friends. Or in fact, you might have many friends but not be one in return to them. So to be a friend is to choose to give. Um, And you have this relationship. Again, where you give to this other person, that it's not about give and take, it's just about you giving. And friendship, again, not just being a friend, but friendship is when you have two people who are choosing to be a friend to one another. Does that make sense? So that's, again, we're moving closer towards what a covenant is. So, but again, a covenant actually was seen as a legal promise. The most um, intimate relationships in the Bible were also the most legally binding. They were the most binding relationship so, marriage is a covenant. In the Bible, the most intimate relationship, again, is the most binding. Marriage is more than friendship because it is legally binding. It's also somewhat of a business partnership, and it's a place for sexual intimacy. In the Bible, the most intimate place, again, those are the most legally binding. That's why ma- marriage is a legally binding thing. And that's why sex is meant to be within marriage. Total and complete commitment is the best place for intimacy to flourish. Two people making covenants with each other. That's why both the husband and the wife make vows. See, I made a vow to my wife 10 years ago, actually, just this past Friday. You know what's still amazing, unbelievable to me, is that she made a vow to love me. And her vow was not dependent on my vow to her. This is why marriage becomes so central to our understanding about how we relate to God. It is the most prominent covenantal relationship that we have in our world. Lifelong vows of love and intimacy. Again, and they're not dependent on the other person following through. That's the, that's the difference. It is give and give. The Bible has many examples of covenants. Uh, there are some that are just specific to certain people. You know, One to David or one to Abraham or that kind of thing. There are always God keeping his promises to his people throughout the whole way. And in some ways, that never actually stops or ends or is set aside. God was making his covenant um, with those people. But the problem was is that in all of these covenants, there was also a side that they were supposed to participate to. God made his vow to the people, and the people also made their vow to him. And this is actually what the author points out in, this, in the Old Testament scripture that he quotes within the book of Hebrews, and he says, God found fault with the people. They couldn't actually give back. It's not, a, again, it doesn't step back into contract language that I was going to keep my promises to them, but then they broke their promises, so I'm no longer going to keep my promises to them. Again, that's back into contract land. But again, God instead says, I'm going to set aside one covenant, I'm going to make a new covenant, And when I do that setting aside, it's going to mean that one is going to be the one that we're going to go with. One is set aside and it's going to fade away, as the scripture said. So if religion is like a contract which is give and take, and the old covenant understanding is give and give, what is the new covenant understanding that we're supposed to have? I believe it is this. Give and receive. It's different than give and take. Because God is the one who gives, and we are the ones who receive. And that's the only part that we play. There is no giving from our side. We already talked about our self-righteousness isn't worth anything anyways. So every aspect of the new covenant is conditional on him. And we actually see this in the promise that he made to Abraham and the covenant he made with Abraham Again, each person, in a, you know, when they were making up a covenant, would participate. They would say, I'm going to do these things, and if I don't, this is what's going to happen to me. And so you see, again, all of these creatures ripped in half in this ceremony, which was common amongst those people at the time. But Abraham never goes through the parted animal. Instead, only the presence of God goes through it. And this is God, again, keeping his promises through all of these covenants to us but also realizing that it's not conditional on us. We just receive. He makes his covenant with us. It is the wedding ceremony that we see in the cross. It was Jesus making his vow to you. I will love you because I love you. We just receive his love. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his salvation. We just receive his righteousness as if it is our own. And then and only then, when we just receive him, does the transformation begin. Through the Holy Spirit, we begin to see that it's now written on our minds and on our hearts. We receive from him, we welcome him in, and even he does the work of sanctification. He's the one who does the writing in our heart and in our mind. Through our posture of openness to him and receiving from him, putting our faith in him. Now, again, some of you are going to try to make receiving from him into a religious activity. That if you can receive the best, you're just a little bit better than other people. If you can really receive it a little bit more than the other person, again, that you should get points. And that you can trade them for other kinds of blessings from God. I get it. We're religious. That's our default setting. But stop yourselves in your tracks. And just receive, receive his love, receive his forgiveness, receive his presence, receive his power, receive his rule in your life, receive the abundant eternal life that he wants to give to you. Or reject it. You can refuse his invitation if you want, but don't try to be religious and make your way to him. He put an end to religion. He made a new covenant based entirely on his work. Respond to his invitation. Again, the ultimate reality came to us. He set aside all of the work of religion because he is the priest king who is seated. He made a new covenant with us based entirely on what he has done, not on what we have done. We simply respond to his invitation. And maybe you're with us today. And you've never responded. You've maybe heard the invitation in Christianity to come to Jesus, that he could be your Lord and Savior and offer you eternal, abundant life. And you've never taken him up on that invitation. Here's a simple prayer you can pray if you want to do that right now. You can pray this Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is the bottom line. The old covenant is religion. but The new covenant is really living. Again, the point of what we're trying to say, again, chapter 8 starts that way, we do have such a high priest we do have him that's remarkable that changes everything that's why it's remarkably different than any other religion any other philosophy any other way of life we do have a high priest jesus the one who brings god to us he's the one who closes the gap we welcome he welcomes us into the holy of holies. We are welcome into God's very present, not based on our own efforts, but based on His work as the great high priest. He is advocating for us, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, as we come to an end in our service this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. And if you're joining, on, uh, joining us online, you can grab something to eat and drink and you can participate with us. And as we go to the Lord's table, I think it's fitting that we read Paul's words to the Corinthian church. This is from chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Just the opening line, just for a moment, meditate on this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Receive from the Lord, and then pass it on. No religious work necessary. Receive from the Lord and then pass it on. You can grab your communion elements. We'll continue reading this scripture together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. No religious work necessary. Receive, remember. His body is given to you. Just receive. Let's partake together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood. In my blood, not yours, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup together. And now let's pray. God, help us to see Jesus as he truly is. This priest, king, advocate who is seated, whose work is done, that you came to give to us and all we have to do is receive. Help us to see that he's the glory of the one and only son of God. Help us to embrace this end of religion. Help us to step into that new covenant that Jesus makes with us so that we can live our lives according to the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We honor you, Jesus, for your death, your sacrifice, for our sins. Oh, what an invitation it is that we can take you up on. Help us to take you up on it every single day of our lives. In your name we pray.